This is The Friendship File, where we flip open the blueprints behind some of the world's most important relationships, the ones we have with our friends. Two friends have each been sent the same set of questions. They've recorded their responses on their own and without consulting. Here is the combination of their answers. This time, Catherine and Louise. My name's Catherine. I'm Louise. I live in Cambridge. We live in Newbury. I'm 43. I'm 42. I've known Boozy, as I call for her, for just over 20 years. It's about 1997. In 99. I'm not very good at dates. Describe the very first moment you remember seeing them. I remember seeing her for the first time. I don't have a clear memory of the f- moment that we first met. We'd gone out for fajitas, very rock and roll, as a house at university in Bristol. I think we were introduced to each other in a church basement. (laughs) So it was neither cool or glamorous. And one of our housemates said, oh, well, um, I'll go to the same restaurant as you, but I'm meeting somebody else. I just remember initially being in awe of Catherine and thinking, oh my goodness, she is beautiful. We were all having fajitas at one table and then one of our housemates was having fajitas with another person on another table. I was really drawn to her as I'm sure many people are because she's got a sort of magnetism about her. I don't know what my first impression was probably a bit of annoyance (laughs) we weren't all having dinner as a house silly now. And the other thing I remember just in those very early sort of days was that she was funny and I find that really attractive in a friend When did that click happen? The moment you thought Yeah, I like you. I think the click in our friendship happened when we both signed up to do a sign language course. So we went to the student union. I think it was on a Tuesday night, weirdly, I remember. Catherine was way quicker than me at picking up the sign language. Oh my gosh, I was hopeless at remembering the signs. She was brilliant. And I've always talked with my hands a lot. I really gesture and flap about. So I found sign language really natural. This one night, I remember, we had to sign our way through the alphabet and it would be like A is for apple, B is for banana, C is for cat. And one of us signed J is for bird. And obviously it's not. Like with a completely straight face, but we didn't realise we'd made a mistake. And we just got really bad assembly giggles and couldn't speak for laughing. We just collapsed with laughter. And it was after that that I called Catherine J Bird for quite a while. It's a joke that went on for ages and ages and ages. And I'd get post years and years after addressed to Jay for Bird. And yeah, I just remember thinking, you are great fun and I want to be your friend at that point. It's almost laughing about it. I don't know why it was so funny, but it was. What is your thing? The thing you do when you get together? A few years ago, we took a mammoth trip to India with the other friend, actually, that sat with her on her own having fajitas that weird evening. It's quite rare for us to be able to get together in a room because Catherine lives in Cambridge and I live in Newbury and we've got work, life, family life, all of that. The thing that I like completely remember about the trip in amongst all sorts of other things. But whenever we're together, either just the two of us or with our friends, we just talk and laugh and cry, actually. You know, we had hours in the airport. It's boozy has a disability so we built in extra time to make sure that we got through check-in and stuff smoothly we didn't but that's another story one of those friendships where we can laugh about hair dye and plucking our eyebrows in one breath and then the next minute you know cry about our struggles and we had an enormous plane journey and then we had 
all the connecting flights, all the journeys. Then we arrived and then we had a three hour car journey. We share kind of thoughts about culture and politics and faith and spirituality. And I think almost when we arrived at where we got to in India, we hadn't even really got started with all the things that we needed to talk about. So I guess it just ranges from all of those things and everything in between. We bloody love talking and we're nosy and we love thinking about everyone else's stories. That's our thing. Who's better at keeping the communication going? So I would say that Boozy is way better at communicating. I suspect that Catherine might answer this question saying that I am better at communicating than her. She's someone who follows through on everything. But I don't actually think that that's true. I think that she's just busier than I am. And maybe also she needs to process things on her own a bit more. She says she'll do something, she'll do it. She's consistent. Like not boring and consistent, but thoughtful and consistent. One of the ways that we keep regularly in touch with each other is actually through a group of five women in our lives. I'm much more like fits and spurts of communication. And if something's tricky or times are tough, I tend to, to quote Moira from Schitt's Creek, be a bit more like a bashful clam, go into myself for a little while process and then pop back out. So this group that we have on WhatsApp is called KFG, which, excuse my French, stands for keep fucking going. And that pretty much sums it up. But she knows that. And sometimes she'll send me a message and sort of say, I see you. I know it's hard. I'm here when you pop out ready to talk. To me, it's such a gift. And it really also shows that my relationship with Catherine is not exclusive. And I think that freedom is so healthy in friendship. And it's something that I love about Catherine as well. And there's never any guilt or judgment associated with that, even though I feel it. She's never makes me feel bad for it. Um, and I really love her for that. What is their best quality? The quality that I most value in Catherine is that she really cares. And I'm not even going to apologise for that seeming like a cliche because it runs so much deeper than that. I think it's her compassion, probably. And if you're her friend, you're very lucky because that compassion extends to you wholeheartedly. She feels very deeply and she shows that by her responses to injustice to poverty, to pain, to suffering. I think she feels with and for other people. And that compassion extends, you know, to everyone around her. She feels people's pain. She's a huge empath. She understands how to put herself in someone else's shoes. And I've seen her be moved to tears, almost at the drop of a hat sometimes. And I don't think people would necessarily realise how emotional she is. She's not squishy and useless and sort of, oh, I just feel so sorry for you. Oh, they're there. She's helpful in the way that she's compassionate. I guess that's why she's a brilliant therapist. And she's just very thoughtful in her care of others. And I don't think she maybe realises how much others value that in her. But it's really special and it's a gift. I mean, it just makes her sound really boring. <laughs> she's not boring at all because we laugh all the time. I want you to get that bit right. What is it about them that drives you mad? I guess it's her lack of self-belief. So I don't think that she has any idea how other people see her. For example, I think she's a really wonderful mother and I look to her for advice and help and inspiration, but I don't think she thinks she is at all. That makes me feel sad and it drives me a bit mad because 
I just want her to be able to embrace herself in the way that she is seen and known by so many of her friends. I don't think anything about her drives me mad. I can't think of anything. I can't answer that question. What do you think it is about you that drives them mad? I wonder if she might mention that despite me having had years of learning this, often the hard way, I still struggle to acknowledge the full impact that my disability has on my life, maybe even apologise for it. I don't think I drive her mad. I don't think I drive her mad, but I'm sure I'm slightly irritating in my communication style sometimes. I mean, it's interesting that I've actually managed to get to question number seven and I haven't mentioned it yet, but I have a type of muscular dystrophy and that leads me to have pain and exhaustion and fatigue and weakness, obviously disability. I mean, it's massive. It's very significant. I'm a bit of a whirling sort of dervish half the time and that is annoying. That kind of, I'm so busy, busy, is annoying. I know it is. I'm, that probably is it. And yet maybe I even feel the need to play it down, not in a martyrish way, but just... I don't know, it's like hard to always put into words how it really is. And I wonder if she finds that difficult. I don't know. We'll find out. Talk about a time they really came through for you. After our trip to India was probably when she really came through for me. I said that we talked for hours, hours, hours and hours and hours on that trip hours. She has helped me to basically put my life with a disability into words. It was triggered after a trip to India that Catherine and Helen and I made in our 40th year, three years ago. And it was such an eye-opening experience for Catherine, you know, in terms of how tough it is living with a disability that she said, we've got to tell your story. We'd been at university together and we were 19, 20, 21 maybe. And I love being with people who like you knew when they were 19 and they knew you when you were 19 and they knew everything that you hoped for and all that they thought you could be. And then you end up when you're 40, you've made choices, you've made compromises. Some stuff's brilliant, some stuff isn't so brilliant. And in all of that muddle, they can still see the 19-year-old you, if that doesn't sound too cheesy. At first, I took a bit of persuading because I wasn't sure that anyone would be interested. But it took us on this incredible journey, really, where f over the course of a year, myself, Catherine and another producer made a three-part radio documentary series called Walks Like a Duck. I think my grandma, who was very special to me, had died and it had precipitated a lot of sadness for me in other ways. And that kind of straight talking, I have s sat with you for 10 days and listened to you talk and you've listened to me talk and we've shared and really really gone into all of those things it was such a privilege to have be given a platform I suppose to be given a voice when we came back from the India trip I remember her really clearly saying to me I've seen you and you need to talk to someone get some therapy and it really solidified our friendship in a whole new way so that's been really special for me and I'm very thankful to her for that it was the most helpful thing actually, that she could have ever done. Have you ever had a fight? I cannot remember ever having had a fight with Catherine, unless I've blanked it out, but no, I'm sure we haven't. And I can't imagine having a fight with her. Have you ever had a fight? No. 
Sorry. Although I have to say that might not be true if we lived together. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean for two weeks or something. I could live with her for two weeks, but if we ever lived under the same roof for like a prolonged period, I think we would have a fight. Um, <laughs> I, think, I don't know why I know that, but I just think we would. But honestly, even if we did, I think we'd get over it. We're, we're mature enough and hopefully emotionally intelligent enough that we could work through that. Give an example of your shared language, the sort of stuff that only you get. I'd say that our shared language is more really around stories, funny stories. So there's a lot from that India trip. There were some really funny airport staff who either nearly dropped her out of a transit bus, which isn't funny at all. Uh, the guy that was pushing me in the wheelchair up into this airport bus at Delhi Airport tipped me backwards, <laughs> which I know doesn't sound very funny, but given that I didn't injure myself, basically... We were quite hysterical by this point anyway, and that just led to Catherine and Helen and I dissolving into a puddle um, of laughter. We would just instruct us to wait, 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 wait. But in a Indian accent, when I was saying, please, you know, let me wheel my friend. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so that wait, wait, wait has become a bit of a catchphrase. There was also the time when Helen accidentally locked me into a room <laughs> And I couldn't get out. And I just remember Catherine being so hysterical with laughter at that, that she had to sit on the floor. As has the word pavlova or pav, which is completely unintelligible. I can't explain it. But um, she and all those other five would definitely understand. Are they a good loser? You know, it's strange. I don't actually know if Catherine's a good loser. I really hate board games. I quite passionately hate most games, to be honest. Um, so I don't think I've ever played a game with her. Uh, but if I was to guess if she was a good loser, I couldn't think that she would give a stuff, to be honest, if she lost. What do you envy about them? <sighs> She's got the most beautiful skin, beautiful eyes, enormous, beautiful eyes. But that's quite trite. The one thing I envy about Catherine is her body. And that would be true of other able-bodied friends. But I think with Catherine, it feels more pronounced. The thing that I envy about her is... She's so much quicker to think of things from other people's points of view, um, so much less selfish than I am. She is just so strong and beautiful and tall. And she's one of those people that emanates good genes. Like I could imagine her living until she's 106 or something. She just has this outlook, which doesn't shame me, but sometimes I kind of feel sharpened by coming up against it. I think, oh yeah, that's... It's a much cooler attitude to have than you've got, Catherine. Whilst I do not for one moment begrudge her her body, she does share her strength with me. So it enabled us to go on that trip to India. I do just feel like, could you please just, just give me a little bit of that, just a little bit over here where I'm struggling. I mean, it's, it's sort of ironic to envy something like that, but I am always impressed by the way that her brain and her heart works, I think. What have they done that has surprised you? I guess I was surprised when we worked on the radio documentary Walks Like a Duck together as to just how much work goes into these things and how much Catherine puts into it of herself. And I shouldn't be surprised because she gives so much of herself to everything and everyone. We basically bought Boozy a little microphone which she plugged into her iPhone, hung around her neck on a lanyard and she just started recording. and. The stuff that she sent back is extraordinary. The other thing that surprised me about that was, I guess it would be easy to think of radio work as being kind of scientific, a bit engineering, you know, sounds and 
it is that, but it's also very artistic. And Catherine is really creative. I was surprised at how involved that was and really, you know, felt so thankful that I had that insight into that part of her life. What Boozy did was so natural and so brilliant that she can sort of talk in essays or poetry. And I knew she had that in her, but that kind of blew my socks off. I'm Louise Halling. At the age of 19, I was diagnosed with a type of muscular dystrophy, which led me a few years later to be assessed by a third-year medical student who declared, well, she walks like a duck. I'm not sure if it was the truth. You know, you edit things, you listen to them and you produce them again and again and again to make sure it's all all right. And there are parts of what she recorded that I must have heard 25 or more times and they still move me to tears. And that's incredible. So please join me for Walks Like a Duck on Radio 4 and BBC Silence. When are they at their happiest? Busy like her little boy and her husband, loves the water. Catherine is at her happiest when she's on a beach in Devon. For a long time, they lived in Sydney and there are pictures of them as a family in inflatable kayaks and at water parks and chilling out on the beach. And it's a very particular beach. It's the beach that is near where her grandma's house was. She had a very deep and strong bond with her grandma. And when her grandma passed away just a few years ago, Catherine was devastated. For her to be at her happiest, it would be a relaxed, kind of Aussie-style, chilled get-together with good friends near some water where everyone can play. I think she would like a combination of space on that beach, but also time with her lovely family, her boys and her husband, and maybe even a few of her closest friends. I think that would be just heaven on earth for her. And somehow, maybe using her beach wheelchair or whatever, she can also join in the playing too. Because those pictures that I saw of her in Australia were just beautiful. If they were a food, what food would they be? I know what she'd like to eat if she could. She'd eat everything dairy, chocolate, gluten, cakey, delicious, bready yumminess macaroni cheese just so comforting and delicious not fancy but just great and it wouldn't interfere with anything or make pain worse or make her puffy uh so i know that she'd like to eat that followed by a jar of nutella eaten with a spoon because that's quite naughty and not all that socially acceptable (laughs) but um I I guess I love that about Catherine as well, that she is quite happy to push the boundaries and be quite irreverent. An easy barbecue on the beach. Loads of different easy dishes and salads where there's plenty to go around. That's what she would be. And it might be accompanied with a cocktail like a margarita, which is a bit fizzy and fun and full of energy like her. Is there anything you've always wanted to apologise to them for or to explain but have never got round to it. When we went to India, we did inadvertently lock her in her bedroom. (laughs) I suppose if there was anything, it would be just to say that I'm sorry that sometimes I'm a bit too quick to talk and less receptive in listening. Helen and I were chatting away, chat, chat, chat. And then after a while, we realised that she wasn't there and there was this kind of plaintive little voice somehow managed to slip the bolt on her bedroom despite the fact that I'm a counsellor and I listen for my job 
I am also a major chatterbox. It's taken me many, many years to learn to listen. So it became like this slightly bad taste sort of joke, locking the troublesome one away. <laughs> it's really funny. I did say sorry at the time. I should probably say sorry now, even for laughing. Sorry. Yeah, I would like to continue to learn to leave as much space as possible for Catherine. If they suddenly disappeared from this world, what is the one thing that you would lose that you cannot get anywhere else? That's easy. So Boozy is the most honest person I've ever met. All the way through, like a stick of rock, she's honest. Oh, goodness me. I don't like to think about that, actually. And I sort of hope that her good genes will mean that I am not the one that has to face that. Selfishly, it's so helpful to have someone like that in your life who can challenge you without you getting your back up and feeling defensive because it's warm and it's done with a kind of laugh in her voice. And it's done with this acknowledgement of her own frailty and humanity and failings. I feel like one of the lights of my life would switch off. There's an Irish Gaelic term, Anam Cara, which means soul friend. And that's what she is to me. I've never come across anybody else who manages to tread that line with such grace or get upset thinking about it. I would miss that incredibly. She's a special person and I hope that hearing this will help her to know that because the world would not be the same without her and my world wouldn't be the same, that's for sure. Before anyone else heard the answers to the questions, the friends got a chance to listen to each other and to react. Wow, that was a really amazing experience. It was so moving. <sighs> Genuinely feel very moved by listening to that. And it felt like I felt quite uncomfortable listening to the bits where she was sort of praising me. But I loved it as well. It made me feel so loved. It made me feel known and seen. And I suppose that is in a way what love is. Because I guess I did know that, but um, just to hear it in such a clear way. It made me feel deeply, deeply thankful, but also really nostalgic. Like, just made me want to be with her. I did also really laugh that I have absolutely no memory at all of the first time we met. <laughs> which was apparently in a cafe or a restaurant in Bristol. I do remember going to church with her, obviously, but I don't remember meeting her in that church basement. I'd love, though, that there were so many of our shared memories that we both brought up, like the same story or the same event. I really want to know what we would have a fight about if we lived together. <laughs> it is those key points that we draw on as we go forward as well in our friendship. To hear her talk about my strength alongside saying that perhaps I would be irritated by her apologising for her own reality with her disability sort of never fails to bring me up short, really. Neither of us are exclusive in our friendships and we both have other special friendships, but it's been an absolute privilege and a joy to reflect on this one. She doesn't need to apologise to me for anything. Of course she doesn't. But, you know, the fact that she's chased me with those comments just goes to show that how hard it is to continue to remember 
what other people's realities are like, particularly if you're living with a disability. I really hope that other people will sign up to do this because it's a very positive, life-affirming and joyful thing to have done. Yeah, she's one of the best of women. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to say everything that I've had the opportunity to say and however uncomfortable it is. Thank you for letting me hear what she had to say. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Friendship File. If you enjoyed it, please would you take a moment to go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a difference to how many people find the podcast. You can also subscribe, which means that you will never miss an episode. The music for The Friendship File is composed by James Lancaster. He is one half of Walkring, and you can find all of their music on Spotify or Apple Music. The Friendship File is a podcast production. Till we open the next file, goodbye.